Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Thank you for tuning in one more time. This is John Chafee at the Ambushed Podcast. So I started this with the intention of sometimes sharing about a book or an author or just somebody that really stood out to me, not just brand new ideas that something that strike me, but today's a hard one. Today's a good one, though, because I wanted to send this one out before today. However, the events of the past weekend here in America have been rather tense. So down in Charlottesville, there was a riot. There was a race riot that really exposed a lot of things about American subculture to the overall American culture, that there is still a rampant uh, amount of racism that's deep within the mindset of some people. And I think I wanted to share a book with you, but this one is going to be a little intense. I guess it's going to be heavy hitting because it's needed today. So cheers to you for still listening. And uh, before we go on any further, I think I'd like to encourage you as you're listening to this, try to think of someone that you know would maybe benefit from listening to it. Try to think of someone who might be challenged in a good way or to finally hear somebody say out loud. So the figure I want to talk about is a guy named Howard Thurman. He, man, he was just an incredible figure from history. He was a family friend of Martin Luther King Jr. And so a lot of his influence you could say, is what sparked and even fueled some of the social reform back in the 60s, especially towards desegregation. So today I just want to chat over a book called Jesus and the Disinherited. I first read this, I want to say two years ago, and there was a number of times when I had to put it down and stop and think to myself that, my goodness, these were some remarkable comments that he was making that were just earth-shaking. And I wish I'd read it earlier. And so I would like to just share a few things about it with you. So let us begin. This is episode 29, and I'm going to call it Howard Thurman's Three Hounds of Hell. So Howard Thurman... Uh, Grew up in 1990. He was born and then passed away in 1981. But he grew up in Florida, sitting at the feet of his grandmother, who used to tell him stories of slavery, as well as other stories of slave preachers who quoted the Bible quite differently to the slaves than the preachers preaching their sermons to the slave masters. And so, as a result of having inherited his Christian faith from his own grandmother. He became a Baptist preacher and he wrote and spoke and taught all over the U.S. and really did have an enormous amount of influence on the social movements of the 1960s. So his family, the Thurmans and the Kings, were quite close for a number of generations. And if the stories are true... This book, Jesus and the Disinherited, was often carried around by Martin Luther King Jr. along with his Bible. 
And so even though it was published in 1949, it had very quickly become one of the, the mainstay texts that a lot of people would reference. Now, when you read this book from Howard Thurman, one of the things that really stood out to me was in the very beginning, he looks at the life of Jesus in its historical context, which doesn't sound particularly new, but at least he was looking at it from a different perspective than all the, the dead German theologians of the 19th century. So when he looked at Jesus in this historical context, he saw that Jesus was a Jewish man living in a region of cultural oppression and Roman occupation. The Roman government had moved in and set up regime and quite seriously taught its people to devalue the Jewish people of the day. And so Jesus was certainly a socio-political threat to the occupying forces that diminished um, the Jewish nationality that sought to keep them in line and fearful. So when Howard Thurman was looking at the actual background of Jesus, he, um, he obviously saw some parallels that were drawn out um, to African Americans in the middle of the 20th century in what was essentially a functional apartheid in America until desegregation. Now, before I go on, I just want to say this isn't um, socializing the story of Jesus. In fact, it's more putting it back into flesh and blood. In recent decades, the faith has been so spiritualized that it has barely been much earthly good. Well, that needs to change. So if you're listening to this, and at some point you start to feel like this is not the same Jesus that you've been taught, good. Because as I had just mentioned, sometimes Jesus is talked about in such a way that's so over-spiritualized that you kind of lose the revolutionary activity that surrounded the teachings of Jesus. So let's dive on in. Howard Thurman, through looking at the New Testament, came to realize that yes, Jesus was coming from a nationality that was oppressed, that had its own back up against a wall, that had someone else's boot on their neck. And what he did is identify three things that happen every time that there are oppressed people and the oppressors living in the same area. These are the three hounds of hell according to Howard Thurman. Fear, hypocrisy, and hatred. These three things are some of the most easily identifiable traits of when there is oppression happening. So when you watch the news and you start to pay attention and start to recognize the emotions or some of the, the stories that are being shown on television or on the internet, pay attention to when you think you can hear tones of fear, hypocrisy, or hate. 
So let me go quickly into these three things and then what Howard Thurman says is the one solution to all three. So first off is fear. Howard Thurman quickly identified that in the life of Jesus, fear was often used as a tactic to keep the Jewish nation um, under wraps, keep them in control. But he also noticed that the overarching government, the Roman Empire, was also afraid. That the overarching oppressors were they themselves afraid of what would happen if they gave full rights and dignity back to the Jewish people. So every one of these hounds of hell have got a two side. There's fear on the side of the oppressed and there's fear on the side of the oppressors. Second would be hypocrisy or deception. The people who are often oppressed sometimes have to give in to double talk. They've got to learn how to speak a middle language that can be overlooked. A classic example of this would be the old spirituals. Um, Down by the river to pray or a swing low sweet chariot. A lot of these were hidden songs about how to escape slavery. But there's also another form of deception that happens on the side of the oppressor. Another form of hypocrisy that they often will have as a ruling class propaganda that helps to reinforce their agenda. Third would be hatred. That on the side of the oppressed, it's very easy for resentment to take over and turn into hatred. And then on the, on the side of the oppressor, hatred can become the very thing that validates or justifies their actions. And so it brings them a sense of validation. Now, fear, hypocrisy, or deception, and hatred sometimes can be hard to notice, but they also can be very quickly noticed when you're looking for them especially when you're looking for them from a detached perspective, when you can see through what's actually happening. And so in the midst of this treatise, Howard Thurman then turns to the story of the Good Samaritan. But he uses the story of the Good Samaritan to say that the best fix the best cure, the best weapon against fear, hypocrisy, and hatred is love. In the story of the Good Samaritan, there are a few figures. There are people that have been beat up and left on the side of the road. There are the religious and legal elite. And then there's the Samaritan who's like the Jewish half-breed who's not accepted anywhere. And so in the midst of the story, the religious elite and the legal elite walk past. But the Samaritan, the one who seems like they're the one that's oppressed, the one that doesn't fit in anywhere, is the one that slows down and shows compassion. And so here is the salve. Here is the response to fear, hypocrisy, and hatred. is that 
love has to be shown to the enemy. No matter who your enemy is, you have to learn how to restore dignity back to that person, even if they don't know that they're living beneath their dignity. Howard Thurman then goes even further and says that there's three kinds of love. One, there's love for the person that's oppressing you. Two, there's love for their group. And three, there has to be love for the overarching system that enables it. Now, love doesn't mean that you permit it or allow it, but that you are actually seeking to set the oppressor free from their own ideological system. You see, in the New Testament, the ethics of love, it's inescapable. The privileged privileged and the underprivileged must both bow before the command of Christ to love their neighbor as themselves. So Howard Thurman encourages to fight back with integrity, sincerity, and dignity. That in the midst of standing with your chin up, even if your back is against the wall, to stand with integrity, sincerity, and dignity, it's at that point that you can really love your enemies, that you can expose their scapegoating, that you can preach repentance to the oppressor because even they are being oppressed and made less than what they are by their own ideological system. Now, I kind of recognize the irony, and it is kind of difficult, and maybe this is hard because I recognize that I am a white, middle-class man commenting on an African-American's text about racism and oppression in America and how his own personal faith led him to write this, this piece that has been at least in the background to a lot of Martin Luther King's thought. But I kind of have a sense that right now there needs to be more white voices that come out against fear, hypocrisy or deception, and hate of the other. I don't know necessarily what it looks like to follow Jesus perfectly. But I do think that the ethics of Jesus are inescapably political and cannot be separated from the public square. In fact, the first commandment is to love God. The second is to love your neighbor. And you cannot love your neighbor unless you on some level are starting to get political and you start to pay attention to what might be systems that have a bias, that don't know how to treat people as well as they could. It is in American history that we have the three-fifths compromise where African Americans were treated as though they were three-fifths of a person. Just let that sink in. That was a part of legislature. And so... I love the question that was posed by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, that sometimes it is incredibly difficult to know what is the good thing to do. But we as limited creatures, it's very difficult to know what is the good thing to do. 
but we can always ask, what do I think in this moment, at this time in my life, in this season of history, what do I think is the most loving thing that I can do? And then hope that God will grant mercy to us. Maybe because we at least tried to do what was loving. Because there's always, always respect in that. So as you were listening to this, um, I hope that you were stirred to think about something. Think about how fear or hypocrisy or hatred sometimes fuel a lot of the news cycle. And how right now in American history, the history books are going to remember how America is going to respond in the next week or two weeks. And so I'm really concerned, at least with the idea that the church needs to be at the forefront of some of these movements, that the church needs to be at the front of saying that all people need to be treated well. In part because I really do think that the most politically, man, revolutionary verse in the entire New Testament is that there is no male or female, Jew or Gentile, slave or free, that all are one in Christ. And so that single verse, even though people call the Bible as backwards or arcane, that verse sweeps out racism, classism, and sexism in one fell swoop. And here we are living in the 21st century, and we haven't caught up to the ideals of that single sentence that was written down almost 2,000 years ago. In some sense, that is the most progressive verse in the entire New Testament, that all are one, that all are equal, and that there is no differentiation in terms of who is more valuable and who is not. And so may your Christian ethic, may your pursuit of whatever it means to love God and love neighbor lead you to ask the question of what is the most loving thing that I can do today? What are the things within my sphere of influence? What are the avenues? What are the ways in which I can make a difference to make tomorrow a little bit more just than yesterday? So I have no idea if this one was helpful to listen to. In fact, maybe you shouldn't even listen to it and instead should just go buy the book Jesus and the disinherited and read it for yourself because it's far more articulate. But I know that I have somewhat of a decent following. And so thank you for listening. But I think you all need to ask yourself. It's wonderful to listen to a podcast and talk about Christian mysticism or some of the fantastic people of history. But it's another thing to let your Christian spirituality that takes cues from Jesus lead you to some sort of action to make the world better. So may you (laughs) stop listening and instead go outside and love your neighbor well. It might be scary and that call to love your neighbor might put you in a little bit of danger, or maybe even a lot. 
But the world needs people like you and I and the people that we care about to be people that know how to use love as a weapon against fear, hypocrisy, or deception and hate. Because these things will never help to bring about the kingdom of God that God wants for us. So if you were listening to this and you had somebody come to mind that you think would benefit from this or be inspired by it, I encourage you to share the link, to give it to someone else, because I feel as though right now in American history, we're at a turning point and it's important that we choose what path we take. Um, We have to make that decision carefully and make sure that we're on the right side of history and not ask whether or not God is on our side, but ask whether or not we are on God's side, which is always going to be saying, all are one in Christ. All right. So we'll see how this goes. Thank you for listening. And uh, man, just be a revolutionary for love if you can. All right. Cheers. Thank you for listening. Bye.